happens as it does this morning. I um, Every time I've preached up until this morning, I've had a backup sermon in the back of my laptop. Uh, but this morning, because I was not in my home, I didn't print anything out. And I had the thought as I walked up to the stage, it will be fine. It's never broken before. <laughs> It will never happen again. Anyway, uh, it is, it's so great to, to see you guys here tonight. Um, whenever Jess and I have the chance to be back at Inogra, uh it really does feel like coming home. Um, there's, a, there's a certain kind of homesickness uh, that we have for a place like Inogra. Um And if we've ever kind of wondered about the decision to move to Toowoomba, the last three days' worth of humidity has convinced us that that was the, the correct choice. Um, it has been... Disgusting. Um, so this month at, at Inogra, you guys are, are doing a series uh, on trusting in the Lord. Spending the, the month of January sitting under uh, and soaking in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. These beautiful words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I don't know about you guys, but I find the the back half of that command pretty challenging. God's word does not call us to to trust in him with our understanding alone. To to, to leave it at at accepting him in our brain. No, the, the call to trust him goes beyond merely agreeing that intellectually it makes sense to do so. The call goes for something much deeper. Uh, a little while ago, I was, um, I was setting up uh, for something at the church that I work at at Toowoomba, uh, and a bunch of the youth had rocked up early to, to give me a hand to set up, which was always great. It means that my setup is longer and less efficient when they come and help, but uh, they, they came to help, and um, one of the girls who was there, she'd, she'd been baptized a, a few weeks before. Um, and as we were kind of setting up, I, I just kind of asked her, I, was, I said, how's things been going since you were baptized? Um, she, she initially responded, oh yeah, great. And then after a moment's thought, she said, do you know what, things, things have shifted a little bit. The, the things that I was doing um, to connect with God, reading my Bible and, and praying, I'm just finding those things much harder to do. And then after a moment again, she said, and to be perfectly honest, I've fallen back into old habits, into, into sin that hasn't been a problem for, for quite a while. And, and this girl, she, she knew what the Bible said. She knew that the Bible said that God loved her, that, that Jesus died for her on the cross. But really honestly, she was struggling to feel it. She, she was struggling to trust deep down that God was still for her. That he, he still loved her, that he really cared for her. You see, the, the struggle that she was having to trust in God was not in her head, but it was in her heart. And I, I think this is very common. In the moments when we are made acutely aware of our sin, of, of our brokenness, in the moments when we are, we are feeling deeply alone 
In the moments where we, we cry out to God and we are met with apparent silence from heaven. In those moments, we can know all the right stuff up here. But our, our hearts struggle to trust that God really cares. There's, there's a blockage. And the way that I phrased it this morning, there's, it's almost like a spiritual constipation between our, between our heads and our hearts. That's the amount of laughter that I got this morning as well. But I, I was going to roll with it again. Um, there's this blockage between our, our heads and our hearts. And in His goodness... God speaks and he calls us to trust in him with all our heart. This trust, this call, sorry, is to trust him not with our heads alone, but is to to trust him with the very center of our being. His call is, is to a deep reliance, to entrust ourselves to to give over our very self into his care. This is a radical command. And it's one that that only begins to make sense as we realize who it is that our God says we are to him and who he is to us. As, As we begin to experience the depth of care and love that God has for us. I think in order to trust him with our whole heart, we actually need a certain kind of heart knowledge. We need to know and experience what it would mean that God would be our father. Because I think that knowledge is the spiritual fiber that we need to clear this blockage. That's the, again the amount of laughter that I got this morning. Um, before, we, before we go too, too much further, I think we should pray. Uh, so if you pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I apologize for the two constipation jokes. Um, but God, we really want to really come before you right now and, um, and hear from you. Uh, Lord, we, we want to hear you speak. Uh, we want to know what it is that you've got to say to us through Romans. Um, so God, I pray that you would get rid of distraction. Lord, that you would open our hearts and ready us... Uh, hear what it is that you wish to say to us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at, at one of the best chapters of the Bible. And that's Matt saying that, so I feel like I can quote it. Uh, we're going to look at Romans 8, um, verses 12 to 17. So if you've got a Bible there, a phone, flick to Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 12 to 17. And as, as we Open there. I hope that we see three things tonight. I hope that we see the status of sonship. I hope we see that the substance of our sonship and the confidence that comes with our sonship. Romans twelve, uh, Romans eight, sorry, twelve to seventeen says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit 
of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8. How good. Look, up until this point in the, in the book of Romans, Paul has, has been giving uh, his, his summary of, of what the gospel of Christ is and what it actually means for us. And up until this point, he's given us some, some wonderful theological assurances. He's laid out that through the death of Christ, we have been justified. We have been declared legally righteous. Through the, the, the death of Christ on the cross, the list of our sins that, that stands against us before a holy God, they've instead, instead been attributed to him. As Christ hung on the cross, our list was nailed to the cross with him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We have been declared righteous, legally justified. Paul has also made the point that we have been made new. He says the old self has passed away with all of its guilt and its shame and the new self has come. Through the, the death and the resurrection of Christ, God has given us a newness of life to be experienced in full when he returns. And these two objective realities, they have they've been grounded in a moment in history. So if ever we are, we are struggling with our standing before God, we can come back to the foot of the cross. We can look up and trust that we have been justified. We can come back to, to the empty tomb and know that we too have been given new life. And these two, two great truths that, that Paul has has put forward so far in the, in the book of Romans. These things, they appeal to our head. But once we get to, to Romans 8, his, his focus it shifts from our head to our heart. He says, not only have you been justified, not, not only have you been given newness of life, but, but you, O oh man, you, O oh woman, have been adopted as a child of God. Point one, the status of sonship. Romans 8.14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This one sentence, it tells us, it tells us two things about what it means to be a Christian. First off, to be a Christian is, is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the common beliefs that, that I've come across as I've chatted to people is that um, being a, a Christian is, is ascribing to a certain set of beliefs, a certain moral code. It is, it's doing religion. But the Bible actually doesn't describe it like that at all. Now, the Word of God that says that to, to be a Christian, 
is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the, the moment of conversion is not solely a moment of being rationally convinced. But it is God himself coming to reside within us. Just before our, our passage in Romans 8 9, um, Paul says this, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. To be a Christian is to be indwelt. It is to be enlivened. It is to be led by the Spirit of God. Secondly, to be a Christian is to be a son of God. Now here, Paul is not uh, speaking alone to the male population. He's not excluding women when, when he says this, but, but what he's actually saying is, is revolutionary uh, to women and to those on the margins. He's speaking not of, of gender, but of role and of status. In that day, that the sons were given the position of honor, the, the position of, of favor within the household. It's, it's something that I think we, we really fail to grasp in our individualistic culture, but that they were the ones entrusted with keeping the family name. So a, a son would, would continue on the family business. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your dad was a sparky, you were a sparky, although there probably weren't too many of them back in Jesus' day. They were, they were the ones to, to bear the family honor, to, to hold the, the genealogy that led to them, to uphold it. And, and the sons, especially the eldest or the, the favored, they were the ones to receive the father's inheritance. So for, for the son, your, your identity, your, your status, your social standing, your, your career, your wealth, your honor, was all wrapped up in who your father was. And I think this is the radicalness of what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, that anyone, regardless of, of gender, of race, of status, anyone who would put their faith in him could be called son of God. They would not be defined by, by who they were or what they had done. No, they were to be defined by their heavenly father and by the fact that we are called his sons. But Paul does not stop there uh, in talking about the status of sonship. He also talks about the substance of our sonship. He says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, 
Abba, Father. I think what's in, uh, important for us to understand here is that contrary to, to popular opinion, we have never been our own masters. Apart from Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were subject to obey its whim and its command. This is something that flies in the face of modern understanding. Apart from him, we were enslaved. We, we were helpless. And we were in desperate need of a saviour. The Bible says that through faith in Christ, through, through the power of the Spirit, these chains, they have been broken. We have been set free from the power of sin and death. Imagine with me uh, that there's a child, uh, and, and this child has been held in captivity his whole life. He spends uh, 15 hours a day locked away uh, in, in a cell, chained up. The other nine hours a day is spent doing hard manual labor for his captors. One day, a group of rescuers come in and they knock down that door. They, they take away his captors to be punished and they set this boy free. And they, they don't leave him to his own devices. No, one of the, one of the rescuers, he, he adopts the boy. He says, you are, you are no longer a slave. You are my son. The next day, uh, the, the father, uh, the new father wakes up and, and finds that the son has run away. Uh, and after a bit of investigating, the, the father finds out that so the son has run back to his old cell. And as he, as he walks into the room over the, the knocked down door, finds the boy sitting in the corner, desperately trying to, to reattach the broken shackles. The Bible says this is like the Christian, who has been set free from the bondage to, to sin and adopted as a child of God, and yet has returned and has tried to reattach the shackles of sin and shame and guilt. But, but it's madness, because we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, no, we received a spirit of adoption, a spirit by whom we put to death the deeds of our body. And so, so Paul in, in Romans is calling us not to submit back to that sin. Don't go back into that kind of slavery, slavery which would have us defined by our, our guilt and our shame, rather than the love and the grace of our Father. Don't go back there. Those shackles have been broken. You have been set free. You have been declared righteous. You have been given the power by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to put those, those sins to death. The guilt and the shame that held you captive, they have been defeated. Now, now you're a son of God. 
let's imagine that the, the next morning, the, the father having convinced the son to come back home, he, he wakes up at 5 a.m. to the sound of something going on in the backyard. The son has woken up early and he's, he's grabbed the dog's chain and wrapped it around his ankles. And, and he's in the backyard chopping wood and, and moving big piles of dirt and stone from one garden bed to the other. The father, confused, runs out and asks, My son, what, what are you doing? To which the boy replies, I'm earning my keep. I want to do everything I can to make sure that you do not change your mind. Everything in my power to earn your love. How heartbreaking for that father. What a, what a slap in his face. Change my mind. Earn my love. The father's love was already his. He did not save this kid for what the kid could do for him. No, he, he saved this kid to love and to care for him. And I actually think that so often we're guilty of doing this to God. Being saved by grace, we think we need to earn his affection. To earn his keep. For fear that he might get rid of us. Christian, his, his love is yours. He's not going to change his mind when we stumble. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. You were, you were sealed with his spirit. You were adopted as his children. He's not changing his mind. You are his. Trust in him. I think, we, I think we struggle with this one uh, because sometimes in our, in our limited understanding, we confuse, our, confuse divine discipline with divine abandonment or even apathy. Hebrews 12, it says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Later in, in verse 10, he says this, For they, that's our, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplined us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Tonight we're, we're not going to have time to cover everything on the topic of the discipline of God. Other than to say that God disciplines his children. It's a thing we should expect it. God in his, in his goodness and in his sovereignty allows and even ordains things to come into our life that are not easy, that are not comfortable, that we would not choose. Indeed, verse 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
And I think because of our, our aversion to, to pain and suffering, when we go through these periods, when we, when we go through, through suffering, pain, loneliness, we have concluded that God has forgotten us. Clearly, in, in the times when, when God allows us to, to experience the earthly consequences of our sin, that makes sense that that is the discipline of God. Allowing us to, to deal with the impact of our sin, relational or otherwise. But as I was reading this week, a number of scholars, they pointed out that, that often, when through no fault of our own, when, when God steps back and allows us to be confronted and affected by the fallenness of our world, when the times when our, when our faith-filled prayers and requests are met with a resounding no from heaven, what we are experiencing is not God's apathy. It's not His absence. The Hebrews would describe it as His discipline. And this is for our good, that we might share in his holiness. As, as hard as I think this is for us to wrestle with and, and to try and grasp, especially when we think about the, the specific hurts and, and circumstances of our life, the Bible says that this is a show of his love. It is in his love that he, he shows us the folly of relying on, on the things of this world instead of trusting in Him. He uses these things to, to draw us closer to His heart. He's using these things for our good. And I, I know that that's not an easy thing to wrestle with, but I believe it is true. And I think we can be confident that, that in those moments He has not forsaken us when we realize what it is that you and I have been adopted into. And I think this comes with the confidence of sonship. Verse 15 again, I'll read it. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think, I think this is actually the scandal of our faith. That, that the sovereign God, that the Alpha, the Omega, the great I Am, the one who deserves our awe and our reverence, would kneel down and invite us to call him Dad. To, to greet him with the same intimacy as, as a Jewish child talks to their father. Abba. Dad. He gives us his spirit to bear witness to our own that we are indeed his children. He wants you to know it. Would this not go old on us? Would, would this create in us the kind of heart confidence that cannot be shaken? Would it continue to amaze us and confound us 
and drive us back to him in praise. You have received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry, Abba, Father. Since, um, since finishing uni, I think I've had about, I think I've had two professional jobs. Uh, the first uh, is at, was at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital uh, as a physiotherapist. And the second is in my, my current job uh, at the church in Toowoomba. Uh, the Royal Brisbane and Women's is, is one of the biggest physio departments in Queensland uh, and I think probably Australia. Um, Abby can confirm this. Between 90 uh, and 100 physios there, approximately. Probably more now. Um, Abby's, that was a punch about how old I am, how old my information is. Um, but regardless, it's a, it's a very big team. Uh, and I don't know if this is everybody's experience when they get into a professional workplace. Um, but one of the things that I found uh, especially daunting was, was interacting with the big boss, the, the director of physiotherapy at the hospital. Especially when I started. He, he was a really nice bloke, uh, don't get me wrong, but, but he had heaps on his plate. And I just thought that the best way to get through my first couple years was to keep my head down. To not cause a stir, to not give him any reasons to call me to his office. And that, I think probably in the, in the three and a half-ish years that I was there, I probably ducked my head into his office two or three times max. And in these interactions, I, I kept them pretty short. Um, I was very aware of myself. I was quite guarded. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. At, at, my, at my farewell morning tea, uh, when I was leaving, he got up and he, and he said some really nice things about me. Uh, he, he talked about the stuff that I'd been doing in the department. Um, and it was really very, very nice. Um, in the back of my, my mind, I couldn't help but wonder, did he, did he really mean any of that? Up, up until this point, did he, did he know any of the things that I was doing? I started at the same time as a guy named Charles. We both have brown hair and we're about the same height. So for the whole three years, everybody called me Charles and him Jackson. Before my last day, did he, did he know who I was? It just felt a little impersonal. Then we come to my second job. And there my relationship looks a little bit different with the boss. I, I work at Humeridge, and the senior pastor there is a guy named, by the name of, of Ross Saville. Uh, and, he, and he happens to be my dad. By the second Tuesday, uh, by, by the Tuesday of the second week, I walked into work and I noticed that the boss's office was free. Uh, and so rather than walk up the, the 10 steps to my office, I thought, huh, maybe I'll just do some work at his desk. So I walked in and set up my laptop. As I was working away, I turned and I, and I noticed that there was a block of chocolate which somebody had left there. And so obviously I helped myself to the chocolate. So for the next half an hour, I, I typed and I ate chocolate. I looked out the window because my office doesn't have a window, so I was just enjoying that. Um, having a great time. When, when the boss came into work, into his office, uh, I made no motion to leave. I, I was not guarded and I was not aware of myself. Why? 
because I knew that in that moment, my identity was not primarily as the new employee. My identity was as his son. There was a confidence. There was a, a mutual warmth and affection. And there was a certainty of his love because he was not primarily my boss. Now, in that moment, I was talking with my dad. I think the crazy thing about our faith is that God has invited us to relate to him like that. With the, with the confidence of a child talking to their dad. And yet, in our, in our foolishness, we often relate to him like I did my first boss. With, with a guarded self-consciousness. And yet by his spirit, he assures us that we are his children. By his spirit, he, he invites us to call out to him, Dad, would we, would we not get over this? Would we allow this to do what it should and move our trust from our head to our hearts? That we might know with the core of our being that God is worthy of our trust. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our experience of, of sonship in this life will be limited. There'll, there'll be times when we deeply feel it and times that we do not. Indeed, there are times that we are told that we must suffer with Christ. But God has promised that for all who would accept him, who would have faith in his son, that there is an inheritance coming. A moment at the end of this life when we will know and experience what it means to be fully known and loved as the children of God. When we, he, will, he will sweep us into his arms, never to let us go again. This is the God that is inviting us. That is, that is calling us to trust in him with all of us. Let us trust him. Let us not lean on our own understanding. As I've been talking tonight, I, I recognize that, that there might be people in this room who have not experienced this at all. Have, have not experienced what it means for God to be their father. Tonight, I just want to say that, that he is inviting you to that kind of relationship. Through, through the death of his son on the cross, he has made a way. It is yours to take if you would reach out to him and accept that you are helpless and you're in need of a saviour. He has provided that saviour. Let us run to him with certainty. Let us praise him for his grace. Let's put to death the sin that once bound us, not being put off by, by his discipline when it inevitably comes, inevitably comes. 
Instead, we should seek to return to him in repentance and honor him with our lives. Christian, trust him with all your heart. Let's pray. Dear Father, what a, a wonder that we can call you that. God, that we could, we could come to you with the confidence of, of a child addressing their dad. And Lord, we, we know that this is not because we have been worthy or because we have earned your adoption. But God, it is a gift because of the death and the resurrection of your son. Lord, would this not get old on us? Father, would we, would we turn this back to praise? God, I, I pray for those of us who are struggling to feel this heart knowledge. God, either through our own sin or through the, the fallenness of this world, Lord, what we know in our head is struggling to translate to our heart. God, I ask by your grace and by your mercy that you would allow us to experience even just a glimpse of